together. I mean, it's been one of those things, you know, where you keep hoping for the relationship to sort itself out. There are other stories all happening with, with people um, needing to sort things out. And finally, we watched this episode where the two got themselves sorted out and uh, the, the story was happily, they got back to earth, everyone got off and suddenly we thought that was the most exciting end. You know, you realize they were set now for this happily ever after. Then there was another episode and you sort of think, no, how can there be another episode? So, so that was the, we thought that was the last one. It wasn't. There was another episode after that. And in that next episode, the two break up. The, uh, the guys realize that they're not sorted out and it's a mess. And, uh, you, and, and anyway, it ends off with all of them in a bad way. And that was the end of the series. <laughs> and so, so, so when we encourage people now, we tell them, stop at the penultimate one. Don't, don't, don't watch the next one because it actually ends happy then. Well, you might wonder why I'm telling you this. Well, Nehemiah is exactly the same. So Nehemiah is like the enterprise. It's a, we, we've actually, we've, if, in, Nehemiah is actually a book that was Ezra and Nehemiah. The, the two of them were actually together as one book originally. And uh, they, they cover three times that people came back into Israel and started doing things. Under Zerubbabel, under Ezra, and under Nehemiah. And, uh, and uh, you follow the story of all three of them, and Nehemiah now ends it. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 12 that we watched, uh, that we watched, <laughs> that we read last week or week before last, actually, and uh, got to listen to, was great. Suddenly, the people have come together. The temple is built. The wall's been built. The people have found the book of God. They've actually come back to God. They've discovered there are feasts they're meant to be keeping. They keep a feast of tabernacles, which they're saying is like no other feast ever kept in history. It was one of the most fantastic. And they end with a celebration at the end. And then there's chapter 13. Which is what we're coming to now. So, 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 and, and it's interesting that uh, the, the three things that, they, that you see built up that are being built in this whole thing that we've actually followed. The building of the temple, then the building of the walls around the temple, and then the building of the people. All three of those things get undone in this final chapter, just to make life interesting. So let's start off by reading that chapter. It's going to take me probably about five minutes to read, but I think it's good for us to actually, it's the last chapter, it's the end of the series. So let's actually read it so that we can get to see what it's, it's actually all about. Well, it'll appear on here. I wonder if I should read it from here. That might be even easier. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributors for the priests. While they, this was taking place, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave for the, of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had, had fled each to his field. 
So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurer over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistants, Hanan the son of Zakur and the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Do, did not our, your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark as the gate, at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates, that no load may be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women among the many nations? There was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king of all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Thank you uh, for the media team for that. That was actually well done. Okay, so here we have this last chapter, and as you can see, it's quite an interesting chapter. Now, all the way through it, you'll notice Nehemiah play, prays, and he, he keeps praying in his prayer, remember, O Lord, you know, that I actually did the right way. So I've actually taken the phrase remember and actually looked at it with a whole lot of uh, um, things that we can apply, not only from this, but maybe from the whole thing that we've actually done over the, the book of Nehemiah. And the first, the first point is remember to obey the whole law. And uh, this, in the beginning, at the very beginning of this, you, you see that they actually quoted from Deuteron Deuteronomy 23, verses 4 to 6. And uh, 
Um, in Deuteronomy 23, 4 to 6, it says that you should not allow a Moabite or an Ammonite or anyone else like that to actually be part of the actual uh, um, people of God. They should not come into the temple. Now, the reason they did this was because at that time, Balaam, if you remember, was actually taking the people astray. He was bringing foreign women in, and they were actually taking people out and encouraging them. So, so they, you know, Moses actually instructed them, don't have a part of that. Don't get involved with them. But what they forgot was that was only one part of the story of the Bible. That's the part they read and they focused on. If they had actually just got a couple of books further on to Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite. She was one of those people that God said, don't allow into the kingdom, of, into, the, into the temple. Ruth actually came in, would have gone into the temple, married, um, was actually originally married to, to an Israelite, and then married, of course, Boaz of the tribe of Judah. And uh, eventually, when, when, after marrying Boaz, they, her grandson turned out to be David, who was the king, who was uh, the, the greatest king of, of Judah at that time. And her great, 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 great grandson was Jesus. That actually came from her. So God actually used her coming in. So, so you know, there was, they, they took a thing that was a law and they tried to apply it carte blanche and say, right, no one's allowed in. Boom. And they actually even moved away from the prophet Isaiah. Some must have been a few hundred years before. It actually said this prophecy in Isaiah 56 verses 7 and 8. He said, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Jesus actually quotes this um, years later. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The house of God was never meant to be an exclusive thing. It was meant to be a house where people from all nations could come in to turn to God. It was never meant to be a place where they could come in and carry on worshiping the foreign gods, but a place where they could come in and turn to God. And the people actually lost that. They, they became very focused on so much obeying the law that they saw that they missed the whole point of the, the law. They didn't obey the whole law. I always say, you know, someone who's zealous, if you meet someone who's zealous and they're zealous about one aspect of the law, they can become a bit of a nuisance because they sort of feel that everything that you do in the church should be around that one aspect of the law. In actual fact, it's not that they need to be less zealous. They just need to be more zealous about the whole law, about everything. In Romans 10 verse 2, um, Paul talking about the Jews, he says, For I bear witness um, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And one thing you can notice, I mean, if you take even people like uh, um, some of the, the, the people on the fringes, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, when you see them going out and witnessing in that, they have a zeal for God. But we realize that some of the, the doctrines that they're teaching are not correct. So they're not doing it after the full knowledge. It's like they've grabbed one aspect and they're running with that. We need to actually make sure when we grab something from God that we grab the whole law. When we hear from God, don't, don't just run after the one thing. We, must, we need to be whole Christians, obeying everything that we actually read. And, uh, and the other thing that, uh, that, that they noticed at this time... They came to the temple, and uh, we, we, we covered this in some of the previous things. And uh, you, had the, you had the tabernacle under Moses, if you remember. And the tabernacle under Moses was, was when, they, when it was finished, Moses went to go into it to, to sort of inaugurate it, and the glory of God descended on it. The cloud came into the tabernacle, and the priests fell over, and no one could operate inside the tabernacle. And there was this great sort of a, sort of a celebration, as it were. But uh, then you had Solomon, years later, he built the temple. And again, when he, when he went to, establish, to, to set it in place, the, the glory of God came into the temple. The priests fell over and no one was able to actually operate in the temple. And uh, now, of course, you have the temple rebuilt. 
you also have, sorry, in both cases, you had uh, the Ark of the Covenant brought in. You had the Ark of the Covenant brought into the tabernacle and you had the Ark of the Covenant brought into the temple. Now in this third temple that is, or this temple now, the second temple that is built, um, you have it built there and the people are now waiting. Now, first of all, when you look at it, you, you know, you, we had this, uh, Russ was saying earlier that we need to not carry and, and, uh, and uh, bring in our past regrets. But we also mustn't bring in our past glories. Because let me tell you, there's when we, you know, you always think back to the great things that you had before. Well, these people were looked at the temple and they remembered the previous temple that had been built. And that was great. And they look at the temple now and go, oh, you know, this doesn't look as good. The, you know, the builders haven't been as great and done as much work. Secondly, the, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. They never brought the Ark of the Covenant into this temple. So, so you had the, the, the thing that identified the presence of God was missing. And thirdly, the actual presence of God, the glory cloud, never descended. What they, the Jews refer to as the Shekinah glory. That, that never actually descended on, on the temple. So it was like all these things are missing. And yet, one of the prophets at that time, when the temple was actually made, Haggai, who was at the same time as this, Haggai verse, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, the latter glory of this house, he's looking at this house that everyone's going, oh, and he says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, if you know the history, that, that temple was eventually destroyed in 70 AD. Herod built a whole lot of things around it, but the temple carried on and was destroyed in 70 AD. Was that temple greater than Solomon's temple? Well, let me tell you, it actually was just that people missed it. Did the glory of God ever come to that temple? Yes, it did. Because you know who walked into that temple? Jesus. Who is the embodiment of everything with God? Who is the embodiment of the presence of God? God himself, Jesus, when he went into the temple. Did we ever see the place sort of put in such a way that no one could operate? Well, actually we did. Because when Jesus came in, he knocked over tables and he cast out money changes and he made sure that it didn't operate. So in actual fact, there was a greater thing, presence happened in that temple than ever happened in Solomon's. And as a matter of fact, those were all pictures of Jesus coming along. And of course, we know Jesus actually then becomes the very temple of God. And uh, whereas this temple, tabernacle took uh, 52 days to sort of rebuild the, the, uh, and the walls, the temple with Christ, he was destroyed and in three days was totally rebuilt as something glorious and new. So, so we need to, to realize as we, we see things that uh, it's not always everything that you see is, is, is there. To know that God is still in it. But now the next thing, the next point. So the first point that I was actually making there is, is remember to obey the whole law. Remember to keep the whole story in mind. You know, everything in, involved in it. The second thing is to remember not to compromise. And we see that in, through a whole lot of stories here. If you go through Nehemiah, one of the enemies was a guy called Tobiah. He was a crook. And so what actually happens now, this crook is related, though, to the high priest, Eliashib. And now Eliashib, we don't know quite how they're related. Maybe it was through marriage or something like that. So because Tobiah was a non-Israelite. So maybe it was one of their children was married to someone. You know, you, you can't always, what's it say? You can choose your friends, but you can't always choose your relatives. So, so maybe there was a connection there. But whatever happened, this Tobiah, this guy that was a crook, ended up being taken into the temple and actually given a room inside the place that was meant to be for the people of God. Nehemiah had been away. He comes back and he finds it in this situation like this. And so he ends up having to throw Tobiah out. He ends up having to um, sort of sort out the things. Now, it's interesting how we can let compromise take part. Because how did it get to a point where the guy that was anti the temple, anti the building of the walls, could become a host in the very place he was anti? 
And let me tell you, I think it's a lot to do with the fact that you allow little compromises to happen. You allow little things to happen in your life, and slowly it builds up until, in the end, the enemy is actually living in your house where you are. I mean, we've seen it in the world. If you, if you have a look at uh, what we've allowed on the media. Now, I believe the media is the prophet for the world. Satan is using his prophet in a brilliant way, getting his message out. And uh, we, we discovered in Zimbabwe, all the government did was they disallowed newspapers to, to any of the people in, in the areas except for the government newspaper. So, so the only newspaper they got was the government sort of version of things, propaganda. Now, we all knew that it was propaganda. We all knew that everything in it wasn't true. But for a lot of people, that was all they got to see. And let me tell you, in the end, people start believing it. Because it's been preached to them, people start believing it. And I'm seeing that on the media. The media has changed the story. If you go back to the 70s and 80s, if you were to say, I'm an evangelical Christian, what that would mean is you were conservative and uh, you were moral. Those are the two things people saw. You were conservative and you were moral. You, you know, that's what it stood for. 80s, 90s. Now you come to 2000 and 2010s and 2020s. And uh, what does it mean when they say you're a Christian? Well, it actually means you're a fundamentalist, you're radical, and you hate people and are immoral. <laughs> and we didn't change. You know, it's, 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 the story changed around us. And we are now suddenly seen as something different. But it didn't happen overnight. That story had started changing even back in the 70s and 80s. And it was slowly it's coming through until suddenly we find we actually have this foreign person living in our house. And we need to make sure who we allow in, what compromises you allow to, to come into your house, and what you allow to start affecting your mind. Because those little things will start to play, play to a point. The people here, they were keeping the Sabbath. And uh, they did it, but then they, the, what the people started doing was, they, first of all, they started, people started coming in and they'd wait. Because Sabbath in the, with the Jews was from sunset to sunset. So what they would do is they would come and they'd have all their business ready, waiting for the sun to go down. And as soon as it was set, the shop was open and they were starting business. Or, you know, and they had people actually coming and camping all night sort of to, to get started, to make sure that the next day that they would actually be there ready for it. We need to make sure that we actually keep ourselves um, pure. And uh, it's interesting if, you know, this is, we think this is something that's happening to us now and it's never happened before. I'm actually doing a lot of reading at the moment of the early church fathers. These are the Christians who were around in the first, second, and third century. So these are people like, that you probably don't know a lot of, Clement, Arrhenius, Ignatius, um, Justin Martyr, Polycarp. And uh, it's fascinating reading, um, uh, a lot of the things they're going there. But I'm now reading some of the things that the, the Romans were saying about the Christians at that time. Do you know what they accuse the Christians of being? So this is their description of the Christians. These Christians, they, they have secret meetings at midnight where they eat human beings. They're cannibals. They're involved in immorality. <laughs> they're uh, atheists because they don't believe in our gods. You know, so, so they've got all these stories. Now, we can actually, we look at it, we can actually see why they actually teach that because we're going to be celebrating communion. They actually obviously heard the story and sort of put it down to cannibalism. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, the st so the story went wrong. But people started believing that. And that's what's happening now, I think. People are starting to believe the story they're hearing of us. But we must not actually partake in that. We've got to make sure that we stay not allowing those guys to come and take up residence in our house. What's the third thing? The third thing is uh, remember to love others and care for the outcasts. One of the things that you discover, what they did here, because they things started changing, the people started 
not really putting money in for the, to help the poor or to help the Levites. The Levites re- relied on the money coming into the, uh, into the offering to, to live. So the Levites ended up leaving and having to go back to their fields to carry on working. They, they couldn't carry on where they were. And uh, <clears throat> they stopped actually being cared for. And the people, and it's very easy for us to start doing that, especially for those that are on the margins, the outcasts. And uh, I, I listened to a phrase this week that I just loved. Christians should care for people from the womb to the tomb. And, uh, and the problem is, those are the two areas people get left out a lot, the womb and the tomb. <laughs> so it's, it's those that are the unborn, that are on greatest risk, I think, in today's world, and those that are elderly and, and uh, frail that are at great risk. And what we find is with the, those that are unborn, of course, abortion has become a thing where it's now a right that you can actually... Uh, um, a woman should be able to go and have an abortion whenever she wants without thinking about the life of the child that's in there. But it's interesting that the media sometimes tricks itself. There, I don't know if you all heard that horrific thing that happened this week where um, a, a gunman went into, in, I think it was in Hamburg or in Germany, where a gunman went into a Jehovah's Witness meeting and killed, I think it was about seven people. Well, in the news article, if you actually read the article, it says, one of the victims was an unborn baby. I love that. Now, I hate the event what happened, but I love the fact that they actually called the unborn baby a victim. In the very next article I read, in the same paper, would you unfortunately believe, was about in America, there's this huge big thing going on with Biden at the moment to push for rights for women to have the right to terminate their pregnancy and that it's a right that they should keep. What was interesting is they don't even mention the life at all. So you have an unborn baby referred to in two, two different ways. One way as a human being, and another way, not as anything. It's just a, it's a medical, uh, medical procedure. And, uh, and it's interesting, we allow the media to stop playing on us on that. And yet as Christians, we need to care for people. We need to care for the people. And uh, another thing I was looking at, listening to today, was that uh, Jesus, when he went, you know, he went and he actually spoke to the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, when he spoke to her, she was a Samaritan. Now, it's interesting, the Jews hate the Samaritans. You know, we often miss that part of the story, that the Jews actually want nothing to do with the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, there was a story of a guy that went to Israel, and uh, some woman had just helped him, and he was with a friend. And the friend said, oh, yeah, what's going on? So he says, oh, this good Samaritan was helping me. And anyway, this Jewish woman got very upset with him and said, I am not a Samaritan. <laughs> you know, I'm Jewish. Because, you know, uh, of course, that's, uh, that's an insult. In, in the Jewish thing, because of the, fa- the fact the Samaritans are not seen as good people. And Jesus goes to a person who is hated by the p- other people, and he doesn't see her as a Samaritan. He doesn't see her as a woman. He doesn't even see her as a, if you remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, she is someone who had five husbands and is now living in sin with someone. So she even has to go to the well at midday to avoid all the shame of being there with other people. He doesn't see any of that. He sees her as a woman. He sees her as an individual. And as Christians, we need to see the individuals. We need to see the people. We need to love those that are on the outside. We, need to, we must never use our Christian beliefs as a weapon to attack people who are, are Christian. In Mark 7, verses 10 to 13, it actually talks about the fact that uh, some of the people were saying, you know, we were supposed to tithe, but uh, because I've now dedicated this tithe to the temple, I can't use it to look after my parents. Do you know that that is a command? That's when I say obey the whole command of God. We need to look after our family. That is something that every Christian should do. We should be making sure that your, your family members are cared for. And we must never allow a law that we sort of put in place to go against us showing love to others and seeing them as individuals.
So that's the third thing. The fourth and final thing that I, I sort of uh, saw in this whole chapter is uh, remember, even when it all goes wrong, God is still working. Remember that you are in the right place for, for whatever is going to happen. Now, I, I don't know, you know, we were talking then about past regrets, past victories, and things that have happened. Do you want to know that there are decisions you can make that affect your future? You decide to get married. Whoever you decide to marry is going to have a big effect on your future. It's going to suddenly play into a lot of the things that you're going to be doing, either for good or for not good. Whatever job you decide to do is going to affect your future. You know, and you're going to have to, at some point, that, that job is going to either cut into your time or be part of what you're actually doing. And uh, um, it's interesting uh, that, that's, uh, in this story here, when, when, you, when, we, when, these, when our future goes wrong, though, and we don't know what to do, so you ca- you're coming across and you realize that all these things that you've put in place, because of uh, events, it's now gone wrong. How do you handle it? If you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, how did they handle it when they ran into a huge big problem? So they discovered that all the people had now gone off and married foreign wives. Ezra, what did he do? He pulled out his hair and, and said, uh, this is terrible, and, and t- turned to God and uh, uh, sort, of, uh, sort of praying for what situation. Nehemiah was a bit different. He went and pulled out the people's hair. So, you know, <laughs> and, and often when we get frustrated, we will act in a way that, that actually will show that frustration. But we need to realize that, you know, whatever you've done, whatever decisions you've made, whether good or bad, because now, now you've done that decision, you've now got to live with it. Sometimes we can think, well, that's it. We've actually wrecked God's plan for my life. You know, we, and, and yet there's another event that happened at the same time as this, and that's the story of Esther. And that's always put in the same group as these books. Now, Esther, we often we romanticize it from some of the novels and all of that. But if you look at the real story of Esther, here was Esther who had an uncle who told her, I don't want you to be a devout Jew. I want you to actually pretend you're not a Jew. I want you to act in such a way that no one will even recognize that you're a Jew. And so she is actually behaving totally as a pagan. She, he then says, I'm going to enter you into a beauty contest. Now, now, you have to realize this beauty contest does mean that you're going to have to sleep with a king, which is immoral. And uh, there is a chance that even after sleeping with him, you're not going to end up married to him. He's only going to choose one of you. So, so, you know, you're going to be a whole long queue. So this king's going to get to sleep with all these women, and one of you is going to get chosen to be his wife. And uh, he enters her into this competition. So anyway, so we all read this, and we often we, we, we romanticize it, but in actual fact, that's horrific. <laughs> you know? And then now, now she's become queen. She wins. She's become queen, and now the people of Israel, the Jews, are about to be destroyed. And so what happens? Mordecai goes to her and says, Esther, you're now in the right place to do something because you're the queen. And Esther says, oh, well, I can't. You know, this is, so, so here you've got her actually turning down the very thing that God has called her to do. So Mordecai then uses a phrase on her, which is the phrase we all harp on and uh, grab hold of. He says, you know, that if you don't do anything, God will actually find help from somewhere else because he's God. He doesn't, you know, you, you're not the, the, you know, your failure is not going to wreck the plan. But maybe you are here for such a time as this. And I actually have a look at that. If you have a look at that story. So Esther did everything wrong. She made all, she, she listened to her bad advice. She, she was all in the, did all the things wrong, but she ended up exactly where God needed her to be used. And you want to know that's because God is God. And whatever decisions you've made, whatever you had to live with, whatever past you've done, we often think, well, I've now put myself in a position where I can't be used by God. I want you to know that God has actually got you exactly where you need to be for God to use right now because he is sovereign. 
and, uh, and, and you are at the right place at the right time. And all those things, if anything, they will have actually built you up. Because if you look at Esther, all those decisions she made, she was now in the right position to be used. And a lot of those things that we think are terrible that have happened, they can actually prepare us for what God has got ahead of us. So we need to know that we are in the right place now for God to use us. Okay, sorry, I think I've gone on a bit here. So, so let's just, uh, let me end off then with the, the prayers. If you notice that Nehemiah, when he was praying, he actually mentioned a lot of remembers. And uh, I want to just read the last prayer that Nehemiah did and just end up sort of looking at those four points again. Because he's praying now for the, the final situation. In verse, Numbers 13, verse 29, he says, Remember then, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So he's, he's telling God to remember the situation. And a lot of us, we bring our situations before God. We say, God, please remember the situation we're in. And we know how, t- how hard it is. And he says, thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and provided for the wood offering at the appointed times and for the first fruits. And he tells God what he's done. He's done everything in his power to do, to, to do what is right. And I love the words that it ends with. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. And we must know that, you know, that's what we're actually praying for. When we pray to God, we're praying, God, your will be done. And we need to know that when we pray that, because if you're praying that to an evil ruler, you know, saying your will be done could mean anything terrible. But we're praying it to a God who is good. We're praying it to a God who has your best interests at heart. So we need to remember to be good. And so those four things I just think we need to remember, we can take from this this, uh, thing that we've actually gone through. Remember to obey the whole law not just your favorite ones. Live by every word of God, not just your favorite ones. Secondly, remember not to compromise. The start of compromise is where, where things will get, get, end up getting worse. Thirdly, remember to love the outcasts. Remember to love the unlovely. And fourthly, remember that whatever has happened, you are now in the right place for God to use for a time such as this. Amen.